You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 27. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, example, discussion, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at CodingBlocks and follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find our all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. And uh, first, we wanted to start with a little bit of news. We got a lot of feedback on our last episode. Uh, thank you very much. That was the one we were talking about puzzles and algorithms and design patterns. And one of the things we were trying to figure out was uh, basically, you know, how to really express the difference between design patterns and algorithms. And we got a lot of really good feedback and tweets and emails about this and comments. And uh, I just want to mention my favorite was from Andy Joyner, who said, uh, if an algorithm is a recipe, then Roo would be a pattern. And I had to look this up because I hadn't heard of Roo before. But I think uh, that's, uh, that's uh, like Tigger's fan- friend. To Aru, uh, I don't know, man. That's uh, that's a little too old for me. <laughs> <laughs> you just aged me out there. What? <laughs> Who doesn't know about Winnie the Pooh? I, I remember Pooh. Uh, anyone born in like 1990 and up, <laughs> like me? <laughs> Tigger's still a thing. Uh, there was a whole movie. <laughs> all right, but anyway, so uh, I had to look up what Rue was, and that's R O U X. And uh, it's basically this kind of mixture that you can make a bunch of different ways, and it doesn't really matter. But the gist is that it's 50% fat and 50% flour, which is amazing. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, I will be cooking with some roux in the near future. <laughs> yeah, I have some more I want to add to this to this topic that uh, we'll, we'll get to in a bit. But just know that, uh, that that's coming. All right. All right. Hey. Uh, yeah, <laughs> who, who wants to mention it? Yeah, somebody found my office. Yeah, so uh, Sam wrote us uh, directly to uh, comments at Coding Blocks, and uh, and you could too, and it, and you absolutely can. But it was fantastic because he sent in a screenshot of Singleton's Architects. No, no, single it, Singleton yeah. Architects. Uh, I screwed it up. Only the Architects was plural. Which, which still, though, I think we need to like open up a ticket for this thing, Bugzilla, or whatever your ticket platform right. of choice is. You guys are missing the point. <laughs> There's not. There, there, it can't be plural. There's a bug in their name. You know, I'm looking forward to the day when you're going to have to start talking about architects as building architects, and it's just kind of implied that it's software. Hmm. It could happen. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. All and, things become virtual in this world. I knew a girl who would be very upset by me saying this. So, <laughs> ha. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, that was actually really cool. He, he tweeted it. We'll put a link in the show notes, but it, it was it was excellent. We all got a good laugh out of that one, so we appreciate that. I still don't understand why they would name it that way, though, because even if they were referring to like the mathematical term for single, it's still wrong. Yeah, that's, it should only be the one. Like it's like the Highlander. You guys wondered who the real nerd was here. <laughs> yeah, now you know. <laughs> and uh, big thanks to Ollie Seven Twenty Four for the review. You're awesome. It was a fantastic review. Thank you for taking the time to do that. Oh, yeah. We greatly appreciate those. Those are awesome. Uh, I did have one that I wanted to comment. You know, like there have been some episodes before where, you know, like I've made a joke here and there. Yeah, maybe. And uh, so my youngest, he came home from school today and he had one for me that I thought I would share with you guys. So uh, what did one developer say to the other developer? Uh, I don't know. Stop no. commenting out my stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Want to get a bite to eat? Oh, nice. <laughs> Very good. I like Very it. good. Yeah, so I, I couldn't resist like throwing that in there. Yeah, that was a good one. Nice and cheesy. I like it. 
<laughs> yeah, well, he's talking about pizza. All right. So, and then, and then oh, along the topic of, uh, well, me, uh, recently <laughs> my mind was blown here. So, last episode, we were talking about the puzzles and everything, and, and uh, Project Euler came up. And then someone had to correct us and say that it's pronounced Euler. So it's Project Euler. Yes. And, and well, I know we all Googled this ourselves. It was, uh, um, what was it? Who the, uh, Kedkins511 on Twitter. Yeah. I, 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 what? No, it's Euler. I've never, <laughs> like, I can't even look at that and think Euler. Yeah. Well, what's funny to me is uh, maybe it's like an American thing, but I, I saw the name. <laughs> And it never crossed my mind, you know, to look up how it might be pronounced. I'm just like, oh, that looks like Euler. <laughs> well, I mean, how do you say Europe, right? EU, it's you. Yo, yup. <laughs> so, yeah, um, thanks for correcting well, us. Now on, it's oil rope. We, we were absolutely, all of us were like, really? Yeah, it makes me feel very uh, dumb and very redneck. <laughs> so, all yeah, these he, years he, we're talking about Project Euler, guys. It's awesome. But you know he what? You're not gave the only a link, though, to to the Wikipedia article that had yeah yeah had the pronunciation and everything. Yeah, but it's not just us. Like I've had other people mention that site to me. And I've it's never pro- once had anyone referred. I've never heard anyone once referred to it as Euler. Euler, yeah, yeah Euler, and that's really it. If you search for E U L E R, it'll actually Google will take you to a YouTube video that says Euler. Nice Euler. So, yeah. And next time you're talking about with your programmer friends, you can actually pronounce it the right way, and they're all going to look at you like you're, uh, you know, something special. Yep. Oh, and so here's here's something that came up. Also, uh, our friend Sam, who sent the picture of, of Outlaw's uh, hidden cave somewhere. <clears throat> it wasn't very hidden. Yeah, it wasn't. It was actually if I was kinda, trying to hide my cave. It was, I was doing a poor job of it. But it's like he said before he listened to this podcast, he said he'd probably walk by it a thousand times and never notice it. But then when he saw that after listening, he was like, huh, that's kind of funny, right? So <laughs> he found the bat cave. He did. Well, he, he actually asked, you know, hey, could we go to doing a more frequent <laughs> format like daily or, or at least more frequent? Um, and, it's something that we would love to do, but we've never really sat down and tried to because we do try. We put a lot of time into I'd like coming up with content. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like Ferrari. I mean, if we're talking about things, I'd love. So, so really, we kind of want to get you guys' feedback. Find out, you know, if we went to something with like a shorter format, uh, you know, maybe a, a quick question or, or something here and there, and and we did maybe ten or fifteen minute episodes. Is that something that people would want, or do you guys like the format it is? I mean. Yeah, we'd love to hear what you say. Like, obviously, you know, some some larger topics need more time, and um, you know, some things uh, don't need a lot more time. So, we want to know: is that good or bad? Would it be annoying if you heard a five minute episode or a ten minute episode or or a twenty? You know, or do you love the hour and a half episodes we've been doing? I don't know. Yeah, and so yeah, um, we've definitely talked about some different ideas for it and throwing them around. Yeah, so uh, do us a favor. I mean, when you listen to this, head to www.codingblocks.net slash poll p o l l and let us know. Because uh, we we would truly love to get your feedback on that. Um, and and it's some more about about me, Mike. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to rename this episode to be about me. So, yeah, I need to make a retraction. So, <clears throat> in last week's tip of the week, I talked about using uh, Git Bash in the tab completion, and it totally works awesome for tab completion on the branch name, which is where I originally started that. 
but I swear I've used it on like file names as well. But then since that episode and since you brought up the question about like, oh, I think it's a Git bash integration thing, I've gone back and tried other scenarios and I'm like, I must have just gotten lucky on other times because like where I thought, I thought I could, I I swear I could remember doing this where if I wanted to do like a Git add in a file name or a Git diff in a file name or a Git reset in a file name or a Git checkout in a file name, I could have sworn that if you started typing in parts of the file name, it would, and then you tab tab, that it would be smart enough to show you only the file that was in the cache relevant to what you're trying to, to the command you're trying to do to like one that has actually changed or been modified or something like that. Right. But I wasn't able to re-simulate that this week. So then it made me think like, Oh man, every time I must've done that before on the file name, maybe I was just getting lucky or it was in the same. I had already typed in enough distinctiveness about the file name because like, I remember the re and the reason why this seems so distinctively like in my mind is that, there have been times where I could remember doing the tab tab and depending on how many files I had either unstaged or in the directory or both, there've been times where I could remember like it would take, like there was a noticeable pause while it was trying to figure out like which file name to display. Right. And that's why I was like, I was sure it was doing this on, on more than just the branch name, but I couldn't reproduce it. Hmm. Uh, you know, at least within the last few days, I haven't been able to reproduce it. So it just made me like feel like, okay, I, I just got to retract that. Like, it, it's fine if you want to use the tab tab for the branch name, but interesting. I, th- I think my memory might have uh, served me wrong there on the rest. So outlaws going back to GUI. Forget. All Whoa. Right. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Hey, that was a stretch. <laughs> I actually have a correction to make over last episode, and we actually had somebody write in about it. It, it, it frustrated me when I realized it. I kept saying topcode.com. It's topcoder.com. The the R on the end is apparently important when you type in a URL. So um, it is www.topcoder.com. So uh, for I, I don't like the way you enunciate the dir. Code dir. Well, I mean, it was missing. So www.topcoder.com. <laughs> sounds a little too redneck with your accent. I don't. Who's got an accent? <laughs> oh, fighting words. Here it goes. <laughs> Who's got an accent right here? <laughs> it's not me. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, sorry for the mistake. I did actually make it correct in the uh, show notes. So if you were looking at the show notes or the resources, you would have had the right link. But, yes, if you just listened and tried to go over there, you were getting a 404. So I apologize for that. Um Yeah. At least it was a 404. It could have been much worse. Yeah, it could have. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so we got some bad news. Um, I don't, do we have to talk about this? Yeah, I, I think we do. So this is, uh, the, we're, we're kind of breaking up the gang here. So well, I don't think we're the ones responsible for breaking up the band. That's, that's a good point. So Joe, you, you want to go ahead and. I am moving right now. We are all basically in the Northwest Atlanta, Georgia area. And, uh, I am leaving the area. I'm moving uh, back to where I basically got some family and uh, some warm beaches and sunny air or something. So uh, I am moving to Central Florida region, particularly Brevard County. So if you guys live around there, and I know that some of you do, then uh, give me a shout. You'll be seeing me at uh, some of those meetups now. So, so basically, this is our last episode. Uh, no. So, no. <laughs> no, don't put, don't put that out there. 
but but the one <laughs> reason which why one of us is the coding blocks? Someone must carry on. Oh, uh, well, mm. well, it's not a singleton. There could be more <laughs> than one. It's a good point, right? <laughs> I guess we're just gonna have to keep doing them. Then these are delegates. Apparently, we're going on. So, so one reason why I wanted to bring this up, though, uh, you know, or at least why I put it in the show notes. I don't really like talking about it, though, is that <clears throat> you know a little bit of behind the scenes, though, for you, dear listener, is that. Uh, I know that amongst the three of us, we've actually discussed this, the the extreme uh, luck, you might call it, or, or, or dumb luck, you might call it, that we've we stumbled upon with, if you only saw just how little we've invested into what we use to record this uh, these episodes, but yet the quality of which they come out with, we're always, you know, we're pretty impressed with it so yeah, even audio ourselves. technician might correct us but but you know we we think that considering how little we have invested into the equipment the uh, audio quality comes out pretty nice and a part of that is that we are fortunate in that we are all sitting across from one another so uh we don't have to worry about you know any kind of networking <laughs> the audio quality uh, is the water's running yep. <laughs> hey, man. upstairs well, okay. So, the, so there's some little background things here and there. It adds, it adds some color to it. But but you know, one of the one of the concerns though is that like uh now that we're going to be forced to do remote uh you know uh recording sessions, you know, what impact is this going to have on the overall quality of the show? So hopefully hopefully we'll be able to sort that out. We've got some ideas and things that we're going to do. So hopefully we're going to be able to sort that out and you won't be able to tell any difference. However, I do ask that you have some patience with us in the next few episodes, just in case if there are some kinks that we're working out uh, during that time. Yeah, but I mean, one of our top goals, we, we all agreed when we first started this thing that we we all listen to podcasts and we can't stand listening to podcasts with bad audio. Like it, it's it's incredibly frustrating. So we're going to do our very best to make sure that we bring you high quality sound and all that um, so that, you know, it, it continues to be the same quality. Um, I, I don't know. Nobody's ever really asked. Do we even want to talk about the equipment we use for this? Nah, not here. save that for something All else. Right. There's on. other shows that talk about how to podcast. Yeah. But nobody <laughs> does it like us. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, so, it's so, going to be good, though. We're not going to do anything crappy, so we'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. We, we aim for somewhat high standards. <laughs> Somewhat high. I like how you right, right. Somewhat. somewhat high. Somewhat. All right, <laughs> all right. So status report. Outlaw, what you got? Uh what's my what status report on uh New like Year's resolutions of twenty fifteen. So we are talking, you know, uh three so, at four months ago. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, not really a whole lot to report. I did actually like decide, okay, fine. I, I mentioned before like I would just pull up some uh plural site stuff and go from there with it. And uh I actually did you know, start one, but then I realized, oh, you know what? I got other stuff to do that's more important to my day to day. So I still, I don't know. You're talking I, about a point, Ruby course or what? Yes, a Ruby course. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, at this point, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to it because there's so many other topics that are far more interesting to Call me. Call like, of Duty. Uh, yeah, that's definitely one. You want to talk about some Call of Duty? Let's bring it. Come on, man. He's favorite, prestiged eighty times. Favorite weapon. Come on, let's talk. Call of Duty. I'm going through the SMGs right now. Jeez. Personal favorite is KF5, which is always, you know, like that's the default. All right, how about one, you, man. Joe? That's a little... <laughs> Any status report? Man, I've been so busy with this move. I, I've actually given myself shingles maybe, which is contagious, by the way. So don't touch anything in my house. 
Awesome. He tells us this now. Yeah, yeah. This is literally the first time we're here. As about we this. record out of his basement. Excellent. That's right. Sorry. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have, I've done Jack uh, this time. So, uh, we'll see. All right. So, me going back to. All right. So, I've only got like 30 views on that YouTube video I put together. It's kind of hurt my feelings. So, if you would, just. <laughs> just I don't think closures are that popular. You, uh, I think that's the takeaway. I don't think I named it well. Um, but, yeah, seriously, if you guys haven't checked it out, please do. Because I'd, I'd even like to get some feedback on, you know, what you would like to see done better or worse or whatever. You know, I mean, I can always make it worse. Um, <laughs> and, and then going to the Angular thing. So, uh, so it's frustrating when you're trying to put together a course because you start looking and you're like, well, Angular 2 is on the horizon, right? And you know what? I was like, you know, hey, let me go ahead and move towards Angular 2 because that's where it's going to be here in the near future. Good the problem is I went and looked at it. It is like, it's not even near beta or anything like that. You can't find any information on it unless you're going to dig through source code and figure out how to write the code yourself. There's literally nothing out there. But the no source docs. code is the best documentation you can find. Okay. Bah. Yeah. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. So, so no, I'm no, going that's, you don't agree. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, oh, what I, that meme gets overplayed. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know if we can put that on this one, too, because it's going to end <laughs> up in every one of our episodes. Right. <laughs> I think we use it a lot. Um, but it, so here's the interesting thing the, the angle that I, haha, the angle that I'm taking on this is, I am kind of, uh, yeah, I'm trying to create like what you would do in a business and enterprise type thing. So you're going to have a login and you're going to have assets that are locked down and all that kind of stuff. So I am going with the angular 1.3 approach right now, but I'm trying to keep this thing open so that I could basically plug and play another UI. So maybe I'll do something like react in the future or, or, you know, I don't know, but, um, that is the direction that I'm heading with that. And I, I have put a little bit of time into it, although with the NBA playoffs on right now, um, Wow. It's sports, 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 sports. It's hard to focus. Hey, my Atlanta Hawks are 2-0 and in the playoffs. That hasn't happened, I think, ever. <laughs> so it, it feels good. Yeah, I think um, – I don't know if we've mentioned this before because um, I'm definitely not trying to steal any thunder, but there's a, there's a, a book, uh, I think it's called The Java Framework Guide, and it compares Angular, Backbone, and Ember. And – what it does, I think, is kind of similar to what you were talking about, maybe, where Eventually. like it takes it takes one, uh, let's say, problem domain or application, right, and then it creates that same app in each of the different frameworks. Yep. Uh, that way, that way, you can focus on co- the you know what are the actual differences between um, the different UI frameworks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I think that's kind of how I'm doing it, and it all it's also a nice proof of concept from the from what we used to have with like uh, web forms and that kind of thing, where, where your code was so intermingled with your UI and everything that if you do this the proper way nowadays, you can just about you know lift and replace if you want. So, are you saying that Hello World isn't a valid starting point? Oh, it's a great starting point. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, one of our good buddies is doing something along this uh, along this lines, right? Like he's taking a bunch of different server backends and then a bunch of um, uh, client front ends and trying to do just different pieces on them. And so it's going to be kind of interesting to hear how how his uh, turns out. So it, it's it's definitely a challenge. It takes a lot of time to to sit down and put something like that together. So well, good. All right, so now I guess uh, we're getting into it, it's it's kind of a mixture of questions and feedback type things that we've got in this episode. So the first thing we want to talk yeah, about th- this is in case we haven't already said this is our Senac 
episode, you know, you, you, you send us a send packet to synchronize and we hack it with yes. an answer. Yeah, we're basically reducing our, uh, I, I don't want to call it technical debt, but uh, <laughs> we've been kind of bad about responding to uh, things that you guys have sent us, and this is us uh, kind totally of paying down me. some of that debt. And, and we are <laughs> completely taking the TCP route of it, where if, if packets get dropped, you know, <laughs> we, we can't really be responsible for, or actually the UDP, right? Wait, we're just going to blast them out. <laughs> you asked the question? Yeah. So so we're just going to throw a random packet your way. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, so the first one we got is uh, one that was sent to us a while back, and we're just now getting to it. Um, uh, no, actually, this one was recent. This is from Matthew Dougal, and he basically had a question on on naming things. And he's not necessarily talking about naming conventions like variables and, and methods and that kind of stuff, not like upper or camel casing or any of that. He's basically saying he finds himself in this situation to where, you know, he'll spend a lot of time sitting there going, do I call this a log manager? Do I call it a log agent? Do I call it a log service? What, what do I call this? Like, what's the difference between Logger. Logger. Uh, or he had another one that was a great one was. I'm going to take the Ren and Stimpy approach and just call it log. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually want to talk about these because the, we've all got some probably almost embarrassing times where you sit there and you think about something for 45 minutes and you're like, Oh dear God, just name it. Right? Yeah. And there's so many times when I like, I'll name something a, a manager and which is usually a bad sign. It's a sign that I'm doing something incorrectly and kind of doing too much in one class, but uh, yeah, it gets really hard to name things. Yeah, it does. And, and he had another one. That's a, a great example of, do I call this thing a helper or do I call it a utility class? And really, I mean, they're essentially the same type thing for the most part. So you're not alone, dude. You know what's worse? I hate I do this uh, too often. Is like I'll name a class something like a you know uh, we'll call it a log validator, and uh, you know I start off writing some validation code, and then uh, the, the you know the time moves on. I kind of maintain it a little bit and kind of add some abilities. And next thing you know, my validator class is creating files and moving things around, <laughs> and and I've never changed the class name in the meantime. So not only have I, I bundled this crap together, but uh, the name is also misleading. Yeah, and honestly, like, now, one thing I will say, he said that, um... You know, well, okay, so your helper versus utility, though, didn't, wasn't there something about the, uh, about yes. utility wouldn't, doesn't have state? Yeah, a utility, so we found this link, and we'll include it in the show notes on Stack Overflow, where a, a guy oh, actually had a nice breakdown, and he basically said, like, if you have a utility class, there is no state. You can't instantiate it. Every method is static, and so the utility class is something that you just you know, you call and use. Um, helper so like what's the example function that you would have in a utility class? Uh, trim, right? Like, it, it, let's say that there wasn't such a thing as a string.trim or whatever. You could have a string utility class and, and it would have a trim function. You'd pass a string okay. into it and it would return it, right? Or like pretty format date or something. There you go, something okay. like that. Um, granted, a lot of these things exist. That's just a stupid, simple example. Now, um, in that Stack Overflow article, uh, the guy, uh, not really article, but answer, the guy said that, you know, a helper class is essentially the same type thing, except it can have state. Um, now, I don't know where these definitions are coming from. I've never actually seen this laid out anywhere before. But just know that they're very close to the same type thing. And naming these, generally speaking, I would probably just kind of follow suit with what's already in your application elsewhere, right? Like if people have utils class, then maybe follow the utils naming. Yeah, consistency is important. 
Yeah, it, and it it might be more important than actually naming it completely properly, right? But that's if you're talking about specific about utils. Though. I mean, there are definitely times for like new classes or even namespaces where like I've started down one path with you know where I thought that I might you know what I might want this thing to look like, and then uh, along the way during the development process, you know, um, I end up deciding you know what I really feel like this other name would better suit it what what it's actually become now once that's been committed though once that's out there in the wild then i'm not so much on the changing but (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) i pretty much leave it at that point that's kind of hard i mean i'll change it i'll refactor stuff if i think that it belongs like what he just said about having like some log validator like oh i mean if it's something like if it's a uh, like a really uh horrible it doesn't name fit like, like anymore. Name, yeah like in the example that he gave where it's no longer validating stuff where it's doing a lot more than just validating then yeah sure refactor it but i, I was thinking of like much less extreme examples okay. where it's like you know yeah so i another one that um i will say he mentioned something about a framework I just about never name anything framework because that usually is oh, and, something. And when can I call something a framework? Because that is so much larger. Like when you look at what a, I don't uh, think he meant the name of it though. Um, well, when you when you call something a framework, it's usually like you just you're not writing much of your own code for it. You're using stuff that that other people have provided, right? Like that. When I think of a he, framework, he, that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking about. Yeah, but he I don't I'm pretty sure he wasn't talking about naming his thing a framework because he says, and when can I call something a framework? I'm so used to hearing that word describe web frameworks that it's made me second guess my usage of it. Right. So I don't I don't really know what he's saying. Well, I feel like there he's kind of almost like implying the difference between like a toolkit and a framework. And to me, like a framework is like when when you have framework, you have like a prescribed way of doing these. Like you, these are the types of problems you're solving with my framework, and here's basically how you uh, how you solve them with my framework. Yeah, like when when does my namespace or when does my DLL become a framework? Yeah, right? is is the way I kind of interpreted his question. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's a really tough one. Usually, usually frameworks. It, my answer would big. be when someone else calls it a framework. Yeah, nice. <laughs> not when you self-declare it one. Yeah, I, I kind of like the explanation too. Like, if you're building on it, it's a framework. If your project is, you know, heavily based upon this thing, but if you're building with it and you could replace it, you could do something else, and that's probably something different. But yeah, really, I just stay away from those words because it's confusing. But the words I use instead are just as bad. So I tend to do things like lib or core, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, no, but- engine, which is really embarrassing. No, but lib and core makes sense, right? Um, core, uh, no, no, it's, you don't it's the so? same thing. Uh, like it doesn't mean anything. It just means this isn't well, my website. It's a bundle project. of stuff. Well, lib sounds completely redundant. If it's yeah. going to yeah, be yeah, compiled yeah, into yeah. a DLL, yeah, then it's a, it's DLL. a library dynamic linked library. It's a well, as soon DLL. as I start a website, uh, you know, I name it in Visual Studio, create a new solution, whatever, and then um, new project. And the next thing, I, the, or the first thing I do is uh, I, you know, I create a, a lib for the logic. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so now you're going to start naming them all logic. Well, what sucks is um, you know the first thing I create is usually the web project, so that's you know got the real name I wanted it. So you know if I wanted to make like a you know roguelike game website, I would call the project roguelike game, and then the first thing I would add was like roguelike game lib. library. Yeah, <laughs> oh, this is gross, and that's where most of my code is. This is unfortunate. 
Yeah, I, I will say, I know I've sat there before. And I, I mean, I think you and I sat next to each other at one point and we were going back and forth for like 20 minutes on what we should name just a class. And it's like, <laughs> oh, come on. Let's just put something down, right? Like if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, whatever, we yeah, can change it later. Just put something down there, it'll change it later, except I'm not going to change it later. Right, that's that's really the key. Well, that's the thing. Like once, once you commit it, it it's set. But yeah, you're not alone, man. People are going to change it. That that's the sad that, and that's why that's why like this is true of just like any kind of uh, like oh let me just quick hack this in right like you know like why it's so important to to take this proper times because like it's so often that is going to become technical debt that will just hang it around. Can. So if you give something a really bad name, like in Joe's validator case, you know there's a good chance that it's just going to remain that name, even though that name really doesn't signify what it actually does. Unless you're angular and then you just come out with a completely different. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys, uh, you guys familiar with the joke about the, uh, the only two hard things in computer science. No, it's cash invalidation and naming things and off by one errors, (laughs) but naming things is definitely in there. (laughs) Yeah. So again, you are absolutely not alone. It is hard to do this kind of stuff. And I mean, all of us have been doing it for a long time, and we still run into this. I, you know what? No, day. that's not true. There's uh, <laughs> random baby name generators, and you just go to one of those, <laughs> and that's the name of your, your new class. Because you think about it, every class that you're working on, at the time that you're working on it, that's your new baby. So Alouetta, right? Alouetta becomes one, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, hopefully- That's why uh, I got to instantiate a little uh, you know, Bobby Dean- Little Bobby Dean here. You hungry? <laughs> That's Jimmy Dean. That's Jimmy Dean. <laughs> uh, I was thinking Bobby Table, Little Bobby Tables, but I don't know that reference. Well, XCCD. We'll have a Man, link in the show notes. We got to show you the internet. Apparently, yeah. yes. Also, uh, Matthew didn't really ask this, but uh, I kind of went off researching in the wrong direction, but just wanted to kind of mention uh, the Code Complete book, which we mentioned before, but it's got a whole chapter on naming things and in iBooks, it's like 94 pages, so it's it's a lot of information. Which on print, that's probably like three. Oh, no, it's much more than that. It's a chapter. It's it's terrible. It's, I think that's when I stopped reading this book, actually. <laughs> oh, great. So you guys should go read it. That's a strong reference. Yes, you should go read this book that I put down. Right. <laughs> this, is, this was my yes, water Yes, Matthew, room. the question you asked made me stop reading the book. <laughs> but uh, it's actually got uh, like really great sections on like optimum name length and language-specific naming conventions and uh, different kinds of prefixes and all sorts of stuff. So if, uh, if you really want to punish yourself, then uh, that's a good way to do it. All awesome. right, so optimum name length is like however many characters can fit on your screen. <laughs> I, I agree with that. <laughs> And, and, oh, that's a great way to bring this up. I ended up, I got the 34-inch ultra-wide. So, oh, my God. So that that variable name is going to be insane. <laughs> wow. By the way, if you're a programmer and you love yourself, you should get this. It is, oh, man, it is so good. It, it really. Is this going to be like one of your new uh, Christmas tips, you know, or, you know, the. the- oh, it'll be on the list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's it's better than I thought it could have been, right? The uh, it, and it's the LG thirty four, no LG what UM. Well, this 30, one isn't like it's not four K thirty four UM ninety five dash P. It's not four K. It's thirty five sixty by twenty four forty. No, by fourteen forty. So it's it's okay, not so, so it's not quite. Yeah, it's not it's not four K resolution, but it's. I think I forget what the it's just re- stupid big. What is it? It's a twenty by 
10? I, I can't, no, I can't, it can't be 20 by 10. I it was like 34 to 1. I, I don't know. I can't remember what the actual, uh, what I can't the, remember the ratio is, but man, it if is. If only there was a network of computers around the world that we could look up information. Yeah, this thing called the interwebs. But yeah, but you oh, never use it. So <laughs> apparently not. Hey, man, I got things to do. So, um, yeah, uh, anyways, variable names. Honestly, though, the, the 9 to 16 or whatever, what, what year did if, that Seriously, stuff? if you make a, a variable name long enough that goes across your 34-inch monitor... It's too long. I will stab you. You heard it here on the show. He threatened me. Yeah. <laughs> I will stab you with a blunt mouse. That's how much I'm going to mean it. Yeah, I think that's too big for the, the symbol table. I don't think it's going to work. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. No, but I mean, seriously, my, my thought on that is as long as it needs to be to make sense, right? Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a sentence, but I mean, it has to make sense, right? Like, like don't give me some, don't try and cram it down to 10, 10 characters just because you have this arbitrary 10 character rule. Yep. And yeah, the exam, the, um, the quote I got from the book basically says an effective technique for coming up with a good name is to state in words what the variable represents. And often that statement is the best variable name. Yeah. But I don't want a variable name. That's a sentence. Right. But you know, it just means something like rather than having a variable named count, call it, this variable um, is the input well, lines in file or something like that. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's something that's usually a phrase. There might be some, you know, some helper words in there. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, I'm still going to do count, but that's what the book recommends. I, I thought you were supposed to just use like letters of the alphabet oh, until no. you wrap around. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Especially yeah. in SQL, man. I cannot and stand I. those acronym aliases. Oh, oh come on, God. man. Look, we had this conversation the other day. I'm glad this came up. Who does not alias their tables? Apparently not, this guy. Yeah, he actually complained about it. He would rather type out a table name that's 80 characters long and do it 500 times in a row. That's insane. That's because that query is read a thousand more times than it is written. Man, look, if you not alias, by not by humans. Look, if you're <laughs> if you're aliasing your tables A B C D, okay, I get it, right? That's a problem. But if your table name is People Jobs, it should be PJ. Well, what if your table oh. name is Alphabet? Then ABC might be a good name. That's for a great it. one. Hey, I'm good with <laughs> no, that. No, don't no cute, no cute acronyms. <laughs> or, or maybe you just do A number two Z, right? Like I'm good with that. Make it represent it. But <laughs> if you are not up a little bit in his mouth, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, look, if you're not using table aliases, you need to step back from the keyboard and reevaluate oh, what I'm you're doing. I'm totally with you on the table alias, though. Yeah, that, that PC is great when you write it, but then you know, ten lines later, when it's off screen, or not in Alan's case. Well, then your query, like you're doing something wrong here. Oh no, man! I've seen some big queries, and they are just right. I'm not saying that they weren't doing it wrong either. But let me let me give you two things here. All right, one: if you have a self-joining table, you have to alias it. You have to. There's no way around it. And two: if you don't like it, just just select the the text in it in in Management Studio, right click, and put it in Design View, and then it'll give you all the it'll give you everything you need right there. Oh, and you can alias uh, columns too, so you can join your PC on your PD dot FFVV whatever. <laughs> and I'm not going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is your problem that the aliasing 
Or is it just bad really aliasing. bad naming for the aliases? Well, uh, the aliases are usually something sensical, but I just hate the the readability when I'm you know when I'm like in a big query and I'm you know I don't like to look at the line when I'm trying to figure out what's going on and then have to like go scroll up to see what GDV is or you know little T F T eight or whatever it is. Okay, I'm going to give you another tip of the week then, or of the episode as it were, because we never do a weekly episode. <laughs> I don't even know why I call it tip of the week. Anyways. You can split your view, right? Like you can drag down that little corner up in the right-hand corner and split your view. And then that way you can have all your froms showing in one spot so you don't have to scroll up and down. And then on your bottom portion, you can see your aliases and life is dandy. Or we could just not alias. Oh, see, that's ridiculous. You can actually do the same thing in the studio too. <laughs> yes, you can. So well, they're all ba- yeah, they're all based off the same uh, underlying so if you want to see the same file, if you want to see the different sections of the same file, you can do that. Joe, I'm trying to help you, man. He's shaking no. a little bit. No. He is. I, he's quivering. What if What if you were to alias the table as Jennifer Garner? Uh, no. No? That kind of that kind of reference doesn't work for you? I'm going to find someone shaking, on the internet who agrees with he's me. He's shaking because of the shingles. It's got nothing to do with the alias. <laughs> right. oh, don't make me shake these things at you. <laughs> I even made like a bad alias joke, and you still didn't like it. That's <laughs> Oh, is oh, that the I show? I, I don't I've know. never watched it. Yeah. Yeah, she was. She Okay, well, never mind. Yeah. It failed. <laughs> Apparently. Wow, tough crowd. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we beat that one up. Um, where are we at? Number yeah. two. Uh, TDD. Uh, you guys with me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Okay. Go <laughs> ahead. Kick it off. Uh, no, I don't want to. Okay, okay so, so... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right, so I, I read this. Um, John Hansen just <laughs> recently... Well, I mean, of course I read it. Um, John Hansen just recently wrote us, and he kind of took a little uh, exception to what we had said about TDD in episode 20. I don't and, think he liked my jokes. Yeah, and, and so <laughs> here's the deal. I'm sure we joked about it, because we did talk about test-driven development in that episode quite a bit, and we said, you know, nobody does it. Um, and... <laughs> And we say that because in a lot of situations, like if you were to try and sell it to anybody that we've ever done work for, they're like, oh no, we need code. We need it now. Right. And, and his arguments are, and they're very valid. And it's the whole reason TDD exists is he said, when you actually use TDD, you were forced to really understand the problem upfront before you ever type in a line of code. And that, and that is the whole reason it exists is you build your test cases up front around the actual problem you're trying to solve before you ever get into the implementation. And there's a lot of value to it. And he goes on to say that there's been studies done that say when you approach it like this, there are usually less lines of code and the code is actually better and it takes less time to complete the we task. We actually referenced that in that episode. So um, specifically in that episode, there we also talked about the book, The Art of Unit Testing. And uh, one of the things that was talked about in that book was was such a study where they they took two teams, one that was doing traditional uh, development where you would do your implementation first and then come back and if there's time you'd unit test, and the other team that did test-driven development where they wrote their unit test first and then started writing the minimal amount to, uh, you know, so first of all their test failed, then they would write the minimum amount to make the test pass and then expand on it from there. <clears throat> and uh, initially... If I remember the book correctly, initially the results were that in the first few weeks, the team that was doing the implementation was far exceeding the team doing the test-driven development um, pattern. But uh, very quickly, within like 
maybe third week or less. I forget exact numbers, but uh, very quickly, the test-driven development team started to, they caught up, and then they started to pass the, the other team, and then where they really started to excel and, and, and really gain momentum past the other team was once the other team had finished what they thought was their initial implementation and they got into their testing phase, then they were discovering a lot more bugs. And some of those bugs were really costly, uh, to, you know, to the overall, uh, you know, architecture and things like that, that, that really ate up a lot of time. And the team doing the test driven development, their testing cycle was a, a whole lot smaller because they found far fewer bugs because they had taken so much um, time up front to, to put the testing in place. So, I mean, some of this we did, we did cover, but yeah, we, we have definitely made some jokes at the expense of uh, TDD advocates. Yeah. We even did in the last episode, (laughs) you know, nobody does that, but I'm sure we'll continue. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we do. It was a really good email. It was very thought provoking. He had some really good examples kind of, um, that he gave us and so uh, we really appreciate that email yeah and to go in before we wrap up with it though another thing that he did touch on that I liked um, because we did pretty much say that you know you pretty much don't do TDD in Brownfield uh, so existing applications but he said that they actually he does anyways and he finds that it's useful because before they go try to solve a problem they build their test cases just like they would if you were starting from scratch you build those before you actually go in and try and solve the problem. And again, he said the big the big piece was truly understanding what the requirement was. So it, it's it, it's almost like what we talked about in episode twenty six, to where like you're given a problem in an interview or something, you need to fully understand what it is. And TDD actually facilitates that, right? Well, I know I know I've done this, and I think we've actually talked about this before. Um, I think maybe we talked about it in that episode, uh, episode twenty. Um, but I know where, like, I, there have been times before, like, for certain bugs, in a system, especially in a system where we already have a lot of use, uh, test cases in place, it's easier to do th- this, where, you know, th- there'll be some bug come up, and I'll go ahead and write a, a um, test case specific to that ticket. Right. And, and there have been times, going back to our naming conventions, where... Uh, for a right or wrong, I've actually put the ticket number in the name of the method just so for my own tracking purposes. That's probably but wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't remember if I committed it that way, <laughs> but I know I, I do recall like I, I have done that before. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely created created methods that tested in that way. That way, that test was already failing. Right. You know, and then you're trying to turn then, it green, and then yeah, yeah, and then I would try to like fix the bug to where it would it would pass. But yeah. the problem with TDD and Brownfield is a lot of times you can't really write a test because you know if you haven't started out writing testable code, then it can be really hard to kind of just get in there and verify what you need to without touching database and session and it file depends, system. And I mean, this is where like it gets such a it it, it gets such a bad uh, name because it. If you're talking about like, it depends on like how deep into this application are you talking about you need to fix a bug or, t- or write some test case. Because then, yes, you there could be a lot of dependencies that are interwoven in because it wasn't really thought about in a TDD modular kind of way where everything is, is broken apart nice and cleanly. But there are some times where even in these brownfield applications where smaller pieces are easy enough to go ahead and test where you could, uh, you know, do that the well like in the, ex- the example that i gave where you go ahead and create that uh um test case for the 
um, for the bug. Yep. Right where it's initially when you can, breaking. When you can. When you it's can. It's not touching the database and the file system. Yeah, yeah. Like if it's in a code behind in, in, in a web form type thing that's, that's nesting in database calls and 20 other things, right? it may be a little bit more difficult to do that because it was never broken apart in a way that you can actually write a test case without having to go through 30 steps to even get there, right? So I I think that's what we meant when we were talking about this with Brownfield last time is we just made the assumption that it was just not architected or or I shouldn't say architected because there's a lot of ambiguity. It wasn't designed in a way that actually makes that achievable, right? <laughs> just interwoven dependencies, like, you know, like what Joe mentioned, like if you have yeah. session scattered around throughout your code, yes. right? Or, you know, uh, a database or file system references just scattered around throughout the code where it's not easy to be able to mock those in your you know, method or class under test, then it can be more difficult. Yeah. But I do, I really do appreciate them writing in because it is nice to know that there are companies out there that are actually allowing their teams to start off from you know, a good starting point, right? That That's, that's excellent. I mean, I've, it seems like most places I've worked, it, it's moving so fast that they don't want to slow down to take the time to do stuff like that. So yeah, it, 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 he, he definitely put a lot of thought into this and uh, I think we may have struck a chord. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did, but, it, and, and again, like, please do it, anybody that ever has any kind of comment like this, like I loved getting it because it, the guy put a lot of thought into it. And obviously is very passionate about the way that they approach it. And his software is probably very bug free compared to a lot of other software out there. So, um, yeah, definitely. Like if you ever have, uh, yeah, he, he didn't have some interesting statements in here though, where like, uh, he said that, you know, I, I view test driven development really as requirement first coding. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, that's a really good way of putting it. And that makes a lot of sense. What was the uh, we went to um, we went to some meetup that was uh, a business well, that narrows it down. It was a business tool for writing uh, like test driven. Oh, uh, Specflow. Spec we talked flow. about that one time before, yeah. and that was really interesting because you can build those things up front, and that's kind of a nice way to let the business interact with your application yeah, to I mean, a certain saw, degree. Specflow solved a different uh, a different problem though. It's for business and, users. And that was also there's also like uh, what was it Cucumber? Um, mm, I don't remember and. That it was Cucumber was the JavaScript version. Specflow, no, if I have that, Ruby. Cucumber was for Ruby. Yeah, was for JavaScript. What was the JavaScript one? Pickle? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you add vinegar? That's real. I'm not making that up. <laughs> uh, I'm not making that up. I have no right, idea. Somebody Google that. Cucumber <laughs> is JS. Let me see what it is. Ah, Ruby. then it was pickle. This is ridiculous. Really, there, I must know. There was a there was a pickle framework. So pickle for Ruby. How do you know when it's a framework? I don't know what that was about to pull up. This kind of scares me. Pickle there was for <laughs> Ruby. <laughs> I, whatever. One of you guys can find it. But um, our spec it. is Ruby. Uh, there's also cucumber though. So I don't know. There's pickle my cucumber, Ruby flare. I have no idea. All right. So now we're just rambling. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. yeah. So it, it it is definitely pickle is a JavaScript implementation of the Python pickle format. Oh yeah, that does it nothing for pickles me. containing cross language subsets of the primitive types. All right. Awesome. All right. So moving on. I knew it was a real framework. Thank you for the email. See, that's the problem. There's so many JavaScript frameworks out there, and they got to come up with weird names that don't well, describe them. Well, they have to. They follow, need to listen to this naming well, convention. They have to follow Java. <laughs> I mean, for every framework that Java does, we need at least one more for JavaScript, right? So. I, I don't. I don't know if they're related, but my point though is valid that their names are horrible. Uh, 
All right, so now we're coming back around to design pattern versus algorithm. Oh, we're onto that. Yes. So, so <clears throat> is a design pattern an algorithm? Yeah, there there was some awesome feedback we got um, on on this question, and it came from a variety of of sources too, uh, Twitter or email. Uh, it seems that con- the consensus was that uh, no, they're not the same. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we got some really cool examples from people. Um, you know, like we mentioned the Rue one earlier, uh, kind of explaining uh, how they understood the difference, and and that was really good for helping us kind of wrap our head around it. But here, here, here was so I, I wanted to add a little bit to this though because if you were to go and do a a Google search uh, for uh, you know just simply go into Google is a design pattern an algorithm right the top two results are going to be from Stack Exchange or you know Stack Overflow Stack Exchange same thing you know both on this topic what, what's the difference between an algorithm and a design pattern. Uh, or the other one is, what's the difference between a design pattern and an algorithm? So just flip-flopped. But those are the top two Google results. And and I found it like even, you know, based off of some of the feedback that, uh, you know, the listeners were, were giving back, even going back and looking at like formal definitions of these things, it's so vague. Yeah. It's- right? Like, like, let me just say, read this off from Wikipedia, right? So a design pattern in architecture and computer science is a formal way of documenting a solution to a design problem in a particular field of expertise. Right. All right, now. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, we're back. Now, here, here's algorithm. In mathematics and computer science, an algorithm is a self-contained, step-by-step set of operations to be performed. Ooh, self-contained. That might have done it right there. Well, it was more, what, what was really more, as I was trying to like, you can dig into this. And what I was really hoping to find was like something more, a little more definitive. And, and I never a, really did looking for a smoking but, gun. Yeah. But, but I think it was more the step-by-step part of the algorithm definition and the design pattern one was more a design problem in a particular field of expertise. Like as taking aside the examples of like the, like if you were to go and look at design pattern, information on like the singleton was the example we gave, right? Where there's plenty of implementation. There's plenty of like, here's the steps that you need to do. Right. Then aside from that one, the other ones were like, okay, this makes a little bit more sense where they, you know, where you could make the strong argument that these are not the same. Right. Um, but my favorite answer that I did find that was on uh, stack overflow was from actually, or the stack exchange link that was actually, uh, you know, the, the accepted answer, although not by many, and I don't necessarily agree with this answer, but I just thought it was kind of humorous, was that um, the guy says, a binary search is a design pattern. It's a problem that pops up all the time, and the same pattern, a binary search, solves it. There's no difference between design patterns and algorithms from a mathematical level. Now, if you're talking to another human, you should probably not say this because they are not capable of reducing ideas to their base components. Just like you shouldn't tell a math guy that all math is just basic addition, even though it's true. (laughs) I was surprised that this was the accepted answer. But (laughs) people like people who... who (laughs) But it was interesting. Accepted by the asker. Uh, Okay, fine. But but it actually had some votes on it too, though. 
or at least a vet, an extra vet. Interesting. So we still don't know. <laughs> so well, no, I mean, the based on what he said, definitely the consensus is that they're not. They're not right. You know, but like I said, like the, you know, you go back and you, you know, dear listener, do your do your own reading on this. You'll see. Like the definitions of both are so vague, yeah. and it it you could make you could really make an argument in either direction if you wanted to. And the only reason why I, that guy's answer that I read off that I thought was kind of interesting was the fact that you know if you did break it down to where he, where he mentioned you know it being uh, from a mathematical level and how legally there have been arguments that you know everything that we as developers do is just math formula, so who cares, right? You know, there you've heard those arguments before when it comes to like the uh, patentability, for example, of, right. of certain, um, uh, you know, algorithms or code or whatever, right? That that when when he mentioned that, I was like, okay, now it, it definitely kind of muddies it a little bit more. But yeah. you know, I still th- I, I I I agree they're not. Yeah, and we really appreciate the feedback, and we got some uh, some really good uh, conversations out of it. So thank you. Yep. All right, so our next one came from probably Outlaw's favorite person on the planet, <laughs> Jeremy Singleton. So he asked a question about... I think that name's a lie. <laughs> I don't think that's his real name. It's pretty awesome. He's just buttering you up? Yeah, no, his real name is Jeremy Factory. <laughs> oh, So he had a question about like the various different types of frameworks, such as MVC versus MVVM. What's the difference? What... what what right so um and it is kind of vague because you look at certain things and they're just labeled that way and so it's easy to just take them at face value right like you have the mvc framework in net and then you have mvvm for you know um it was silverlight xaml that kind of stuff so there's there's tons of things so at any rate we dug into this a little bit and and i believe joe did you put together these notes on it yeah, I did. And actually, this question reminds me a little bit of the one uh, we were talking about uh, just a second ago with the algorithms versus design patterns where we can define either one. But when it's when you try to compare them, that things get a little weird. And so we thought we'd start just kind of by saying what model view controller is. And, and basically, um, we found a real simple uh, version of this where we say the M in MVC stands for model, which is what your item is. Data. Data. V is for view, which is what that data looks like. True UI. And C for controller is what it does. Yep. But that's really simple. So if we're talking about like, you know, say a website and you go to the homepage, you know, there might in the code, there might be, um, you know, a controller for the homepage. I'm not really sure what this looks like, but I can tell you that there's going to be a lot of models and, uh, at least one controller involved in the making of this thing. Yeah, so usually your controller is shaping uh, the data or, or providing the data to your view, right? So you have, in an MVC application, your model's your data, your view's your, the, let's say it's a web page, right? Then that's going to be your HTML and whatever templates have been defined over there. And then your controller is what's taking that data and providing it to the view. And it, it also does things like if you click add to cart, then your controller should be handling that action, right? It's the logic. Yeah, it's what's your page is doing. Yep. And then so when you get into the MVVM and there's even MVCVM, um, I mean, there, there's a ton of variations on these things. But really what it boils down to is MVVM was created by Microsoft, essentially based off uh, uh, Martin Fowler's 
uh, one of his designs, but essentially it's, it's binding. So your view model is kind of like a bridge for the data to go from, and, and because there's no controller there, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say it, but your view model is, is what takes your data from the model and then provides it to the view itself. So it's kind of just like a transport layer. It's not supposed to have any knowledge of anything going on. And I think the reason why they did it, and it really all boiled down to this, it was data binding. So essentially you could have your UI guys working on the view. You could have your your um, programmers working on, on the logic part of it. And then this view model would just be what says, hey, take the data from these guys that programmed it and give it to the view and let it use it. Yeah, and what, what I think is important to mention here is that the M and the V are, are kind of the same. But what is kind of different, or at least implied different here, is when you're dealing with an MVVM situation, you're often dealing with more than one model. And that view model takes those different models, and it kind of brings those together into a way that the view can deal with. So it takes you know the products, it takes the account information, it takes the um, you know search data. And it kind of brings those together in such a way that the view can make sense of it. And so the view knows how to get its products and it knows how to get your name for the, you know, hello, Joe kind of stuff. And so the, the, the VM really simplifies what the presentation layer has to know about. Right. The, basically what it boils down to is your view should not be doing any kind of logical type stuff. The, the data that is coming across should just basically be spit out onto the screen, whether it's on a, dot, you know, a, a web thing or, or on your desktop app, something like that. And, and I'll take it to Angular for those who are used to that kind of thing. Like they have this whole, it's an MVVM type thing, or it's actually kind of MVCVM because they do have these notions of controllers. But essentially your controller should be what's changing things. It's doing the logical pieces of the code then that gets bound to your view anything that you change in the view automatically gets transferred back to the model and vice versa so it's a two-way data binding at least in 1.3 apparently they're doing away with that in 2.0 but it, it has a lot to do with the binding and and not having your you should have all your logic in the controller and then your view should just be able to it knows the shape of the data that's supposed to come over and it should just be able to use it that's it Yep, and uh, MVVM doesn't mean that there is no controller. You know, there's still something that needs to kind of manage these behaviors and events. It's just that there's this kind of this VM there, and um, there's actually a really good example, um, someone or explanation someone gave on Stack Overflow, um, True Blue Aussie. We'll have a link to this, but they say that the view model holds a certain shape of data and commands, and they don't know, or the view doesn't know where the data comes from, and it doesn't really care how that gets saved or kind of reflected back to the persistence layer, but the view is able to communicate with this view model and that keeps that view really dumb and focused on it's just just this job of looking good yep and and i will also say also with this mvvm is typically done all at your view layer which is kind of odd right so if you have an mvc so in net if you're talking about uh your your web mvc that's usually talking about server-side technologies. So your models, like your database storage and all that kind of stuff, your view is your HTML page, and then your um, controller is the actions, like your, your button click. Oh you might God, so be, we're going to put this all in, we're going to put MVVM inside of my MVC? That's, yes. So actually, the MVVM actually replaces your V, typically. So that's generally speaking what you have. So, I mean, if you're really going to break it down, it'd be M, MVVVM, C, 
right? And that's that's really what you're getting. Usually when you see these frameworks, that is your UI level. Um, yeah, the V and the VM are very tightly coupled. You're not frequently going to see those used apart. But you are going to see that's a models. Bold statement, though. So what? That's a bold statement, though. It's pretty accurate. I mean, because that's what it usually boils down to. <laughs> I like Boom. your confidence, sir. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> all right. I'm about to get all kinds of flame mail on this one. This is going to be great. Well, I do think of the view model as being closer to view than model. At least that's how I kind of think of it. You know, it's just kind of a presentation layer um, that that view knows how the to view interact model with. closer to view than model? Yeah. Yes. You wouldn't consider it closer to controller than either? Not really, because I think of the view model as data only. So this is, you know, when I yes. when I change my name on the account page, then it knows how to, um, you know, reflect that change back to it's the model. It's your glue. And the model is in charge of writing it to a database or log or, you know, whatever else. Yeah. I, well, I'm, I only I only pose that just because, like, uh, in, in this very Stack Overflow article that you're um, pointing out, like, there was one of the high-rated ones was – where the guy was saying that the it the view model replaced the controller. Yeah, I, I so, don't agree with that. Really. I don't either. I've never seen it happen that way. I think in a simple example, it can be like if I'm making like a simple like account page where I kind of you know sign up and I say save, then I can get how that VM replaced the controller there because the VM should know how to kind of write itself back to those various models, mm-hmm. and that makes sense to me that you wouldn't need a controller. But I don't see a lot of behaviors happening in that view model. I don't want to see button click events in a view model, and I think you still oh, okay. need, need those things. Right. Okay. I, I, I'll give you that one. I, I agree with you there. That's but, my opinion. But yeah. So I mean, I, I did want to say that um, this is sometimes also referred to as the model view binder. Yeah, we saw that. Yeah. So depending on uh, you know, y- your language, they said non Microsoft usually refers to it that way, right? Well, knockout JS. JS, for example, it, it's model viewbinder there. It's kind of interesting. I think because we program in a in a Microsoft realm. That oh my God, this is a Microsoft show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's JavaScript, isn't it? Um, I mean, usually when I hear like uh, Angular or a lot of these other ones, uh, Ember, they're usually referred to as MVVM. I, I haven't actually heard that other one ever referred to in the wild. The model view binder? Yeah, I'd never heard of it. It like even even when I'd heard just to be complete. Yeah, nice try, guys. <laughs> it's MVVM. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm with you there. I, I've always heard it as MVVM. But yep. Oh, uh, I I had one example I wanted to give. Uh, maybe I should have done earlier. But um, I, I did want to say that you can have MVVM without binding. You know, strictly speaking. And I wanted to give an example where um, I had this um, a project. It was a website, and it had like one of these seventeen step wizards where you kind of, you know, you enter your first name. The next page has your payment details. The next one has you know your job history, whatever. And um, what was kind of interesting about that is the database structure was very flat. Like there was one big table that had a ton of rows. Everything was one to one, and this wizard would fill in different parts of this table based on what step you were on. And in this case, you know, there was really only one model. And I had a bunch of different view models, though, that lined up with each step of the wizard. And so the view model was in charge of, you know, knowing how to set those fields and unset if you, you know, chose different actions. But the views didn't know anything about how this was, you know, only one model in the background. So I thought it was kind of an interesting, interesting use case of an MVVV, MVVM pattern. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> I can't without <laughs> binding. <laughs> yeah, that, that is. Yeah, so... Uh, hopefully that helps a little bit. I mean, uh, before MVC 
got popular. I mean, what was it? Just willy nilly style. You just do whatever you wanted. PHP baby. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that really the whole reason these patterns exist is to separate concerns. We've talked about it a number of times, but a lot of times it's separation of concerns so that there's code maintainability, but there's also testability, right? Like if you have your your model and your controller and everything nested in one, like we talked about earlier, it's really hard to put together tests. Well, view code in general is hard to test. Yeah, yep. it is. It, but it, the whole purpose of something like MVVM is you should never have to test your view because it doesn't matter. That's really the whole idea behind it is because it's kind of a dummy container that just spit stuff out, it shouldn't matter that much. Really what you care about is what happens when, when data is moving back and forth. So, and I know that's a really general thing. Of course you want to test your UI, but um, as far as writing like unit tests and that kind of stuff, you, you know, this allows you to do that. Oh yeah, and did want to mention, if you guys have a better explanation, then we would love to hear it. So tweet us or email or something and we'll throw it out there. Yep, absolutely. We're not afraid to address our past mistakes <laughs> indiscretions <laughs> indiscretions yes yeah I'd, li I'd like to actually hear some cool examples of where others are using mvvm yeah yeah i'm sure somebody out there has like a one sentence example that just sums it all up perfectly maybe they, they would have maybe. the key to the internet yes they would all right so we also um sam uh the guy who found outlaws hidden layer again or not so hidden layer uh he he did write in and said something about you know hey some of the things that i'd like to hear more about it would be like learning things that are hard to learn at your job, uh, agile scrum, uh, making enterprise architecture choices. Um, and then potentially we might even have a future episode cause he asked about mocking libraries and he also asked about unit testing, which is episode 20. So if he hasn't heard it yet, please do go back and listen to that one. And then, and then ask us any questions that we might've glossed over, but so it's kind of hard to teach yourself agile by yourself. Right. Yeah. So here, here was my take on the agile thing. And Swansea con Swansea yep. con is actually a good way to do something like that. It's, it's a whole conference dedicated to learn for agile people or, or so the way that I look at something like this is if it's not in your current job and it's something that you are passionate about and you want to go learn going to a conference or maybe even a class is an excellent way to get filled in on this kind Meet of stuff. Ups. Meetups are awesome. There's probably an agile meetup near you. Yeah, there, more than likely there is because it's incredibly popular now. So that's, according to LinkedIn, I'm like an agile master. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that I endorsed you for oh it? Oh my god! Just for fun. <laughs> I'm gonna do it right now. Actually, <laughs> jeez. Um, so that's that's definitely one way, especially with something like that, because really that's more of a methodology of doing things, right? So that's a great way to learn that. Another way, dude, Pluralsight actually has videos on this kind of stuff. Also, you can pick up books on Agile and Scrum. Granted, you can't put it into practice because, you know, maybe your company doesn't want to, but if you learn it enough, potentially you can get it in there. And then there's always this. Your company doesn't want to do it, you just go to another one. <laughs> So, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so that's harsh. I, yeah, that's a little rough. But I mean, I'm I'm not telling you to leave your job. But um, where is he? You know. Uh, now this one, I know we're all somewhat passionate about making architecture choices. So again, that's kind of vague. But let's talk about just picking your your tech stack for one. Oh, we already did this though. Did that we? was the hot stacks episode. Well, that was just me rambling on about not being able to make up. No, my but mind. I mean, we talked about that. We we went into that in detail about like picking which technology stack. Well, let's talk about it within a company, as opposed to just a side project, which is what I was talking about initially. 
But I think our answer is there applied to either. I mean, basically, we we talked about different ways of, uh, you know, prototyping it. And yeah, you know, there's there's something to be said about getting it to getting to market fast, yep. right? Whether that's you know a market for yourself or for your company. So if you wanted to prototype it in something that you know and you know well, then there's no harm in that. But if you you know, unless you just really want to take the time to learn some other framework or there's something else out there that you, you've heard a lot of great things about and you really want to take the time to invest in learning that, then sure. But, you know, that because you're going to be uh, less knowledgeable about that, you might be setting yourself up. All right. So let's talk about it from the perspective of you have a team of 20 people and you introduce a new stack. And now you've got, let's say, let's say that in, in a situation, you already had three tech stacks and you only had a couple people that were dedicated to each. And now you introduce a new one. Um, would you, I mean, they can, they can set you Which up. Which one costs the least? Yeah. I would say think long and hard before you do that. Cause there's going to be some attrition. It, it's real. Yeah. It's that, the answer is always going to be like, which, which one costs the least, but is that immediate cost or is that future? Because the thing your, is your boss and the bean counters won't matter. Won't care. That's, that's true. Now, if but, you're, you're used to co- COBOL, maybe it's time to upgrade, but there has to be some serious business reasons for changing. Yeah. I, would think. I mean, that's, that's one of the, the key things that I want to take away from just saying this right here is, just because something's free, like let's say MySQL, right? Maybe they don't want to do it for, for reasons that, you know, I, I don't know what they might have, but, you know, they, they have licenses for SQL Server. They're spending a ton of money on it. They want to stay with that, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so it, I, it, I guess like this question, this question could be taken in a couple of different ways. Like, you know, enterprise architecture choices, is it your enterprise and these are your people, right? Or is this a customer, and it's their enterprise? That I'm you're so about? lost right now. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, regardless, you know, the the cost is definitely going to be a factor when you start talking about uh, enterprise. You know, when you start talking about the com- big large companies like that, because it's going to matter. You know what I was talking about with the quality. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have There's some room. water running. You're probably not going to hear it, uh, but so actually, running. it's very faint when it comes out. So, anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so unfortunately, you know, the, you might want to use the new hotness, like like you'd mentioned, uh, you know, the next version of Angular. Yep. Well, that's going to be more difficult to find those resources. Those resources that are good are going to be more expensive, and it could change. Documentation is going to be harder to come by for it because it's yep. still so new. Therefore, your development cycle is going to be longer. I mean, those are all serious costs that you're going to have to weigh in, and you know whether it's your company or uh, you know your your client's company that you have to think about. Plus, you have to think about like you mentioned, like, and I think I think these are all things that we addressed in that episode. I don't remember that that. It was hot. It was called hot stacks. I don't remember. Yeah, I can find it. But but you know, you know, you do you already have licenses for Oracle? Well, then you know if you already have a site license for Oracle, then switching over to SQL Server, you know, there's going to have to be a good reason for it. Or maybe you already have a lot of in-house expertise on SQL Server. Therefore, moving to DB2 is you know you're going to have to. There's training and tooling that's going to have to happen there. So you know. Yeah, that was unfortunately money. Money is going to be you know a big part of that decision when it comes to. But I also think you need to look at your team. Um, If you if you've got a bunch of experts in one technology and you're wanting to go another direction because it is the new hotness or because it's something you're interested in, you have to take that into consideration when something goes wrong. You know, who's going to be able to work on it, right? Um, 
And I will say though, there, there is something to be said too. Like, and, and I joked about like leaving your job, but I mean, honestly, if, if I was stuck working on a VB6 application today, I would be looking for something else. Well, that's different though. That that's an outdated technology though. Like, like when Joe brought up the COBOL example, but let's bring up another example. Let's say like, if you are in a, uh, a shop, let's say, okay, you're in a C sharp shop and you have a strong passion to write go, right? You know, in that case, then maybe it, it would be advantageous to go ahead and, and start shopping around if that's something that you know you truly wanted to pursue. But if you were to create some new app and you wrote it in Go and you're the only one that knows it and you're the only one that can support it, then you know as that company becomes dependent on it, you know that that's going to become their technical debt. Yep. That you know you have to consider you know, when you choose that. And I will say this too, I, and this is probably, I, I don't know, maybe going a little bit too long on it, but one other thing is consider how easy it is to find resources out there. I actually hate my answers though. Cause it just makes it sound like, you know, just stay with the norm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's always <laughs> a tough thing, right? Like that's I mean, often the answer. <laughs> it, it really is often the answer. And that's why there are still companies working in VB six, but oh my it's, God. it's, it's one of those things too, though. Like anytime that I'm working on a project, six I can't take. I can't. I, <laughs> I can't accept that argument. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why I can't accept that argument because that is a case of a company not upgrading as things progress. Okay. So so to 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 make an analogy to that argument would be like saying a company who's still on like C sharp or .NET two o, right? That would be that would be the equivalent of. To your, to your V-sharp 6 Okay, example. I'll give you a different one. But like using a different architecture or different framework, you know, like things like that, like, you know, uh, hey, we're on, uh, uh, you know, I can't even, I'm trying to think of an old JavaScript library, but, you know, and, and you want to move to... Prototype.js. Okay. <laughs> and you want to move to Angular 2 or you want to move to Knockout or you know, Ember, whatever, you know, whatever it is that, you know, whatever your new hotness is that you think this is going to solve all of our problems. I've done some research in it, but that's different because it's not necessarily just an upgrade. Whereas your VB six example is the company didn't take the time at the times that they should have to upgrade their application as changes were happening to visual basic. And so now going from VB six to .net four or five or five O is coming now it's going to become a bigger effort than it should have been had they maintained it all along. So I'll say like there's a, I used to do cold fusion programming and a lot of those companies that had it had, you know, hundreds of thousands of lines of code written in that. And so they never wanted to change away from it. Right. Like it, it's like trying to steer the Titanic away from that. It just wasn't going to happen. And so they end up staying with it. And, so if you find yourself in a position to where you can't work on new architecture because you're stuck on some old stuff, then maybe you need to you need to look at what you want to do. Um, well, I would agree with that. If you're in a company that that's just dead set in their old ways and they don't want to move with technology, then that might not be the place for you. And you can and you have to be careful because you can easily if if this if this ends up being two or three years down the road. You're stuck in an old technology. You haven't touched any new stuff, and it's going to be hard for you to shift gears. And nobody else is using it. You're basically like putting yourself out of market. Yeah, you are. And that's what I'm saying. If you stay on that old technology, like those years, if you were doing Visual Basic six development right now, and and I'm sorry, we're harping on Visual Basic six, but that does nothing for your resume right now. Right. And that's the thing too. Like, let's say this company has a layoff, and you are no longer there. What are you going to do now? 
So hopefully you've been at home programming on your own, trying to figure stuff out. I mean, it's, it's just a really tough thing. So I, I wanted to say that, but then the other thing also I've led projects where you're looking at what technology stack to use at the time. And again, it's different than when you're just doing something for yourself. You can pick up whatever you want, right? Because you're just trying to do it for fun or, or whatever the case may be. If you're in a company, you need to look at what kind of resources available. Can I find Angular programmers? Can I find .NET programmers? Can I find COBOL programmers, right? You need to, and like Ember. Ember is one of the hot new JavaScript frameworks. And a lot of companies use it, um, especially startup companies, but companies that are looking to make big teams go quickly, it's hard to find those resources. It's scary to be on Ember 10 years from now when there's, you know, Radiant and Emerald and whatever else is React. on the time, you know. You don't want to still be supporting by that. But you have to be thinking about that sort of thing when you make decisions. Like uh, Scott Hanselman actually had a really nice quote about um, basically asking yourself, you know, have I had 10 years of experience or have I had one year of experience 10 times? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it, yeah, I mean, you. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, not necessarily this the architecture question, but just like as a software developer in general, and and making sure that you stay current and marketable. It's almost it's kind of like um, you know with doctors or anyone in the medical field, they have to you know, stay current, take continuing education classes, you know, with latest uh, findings and and whatnot as it relates to medicine. And in a lot of ways, software development is similar in that if you want to stay current, you have to find a way and get into a, a good pattern of continuing to learn new thing, new technologies as they come out. And that's and that can be. I know any that's no, off topic of that question, but no, but it, it's a very good point. And it can be either you move to jobs where they have that, to where there's constant growth in it right, where they're changing technologies and they're staying up with the times, or it can be you're just spending your nights, you know, going through and watching Pluralsight videos or, or writing sample code. So it's really up to you, but it is something that, yeah, you know. If you're, if you're still programming in, a, in one of these older languages, you're doing yourself no favors. Yeah, and it's, it's a dangerous situation to be in. Yeah. Yep. So. Speaking of older technologies, I just endorsed Michael for Subversion. Awesome. <laughs> hey, I actually think I did the other day too. <laughs> oh my God. Me and three others have. I'm going to unendorse them for all the new God. stuff just for oh, fun. Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> That's not nice. Okay, I will do that. All yeah, right. and while we're on top of you guys, should go link this in and we'll oh, yeah. endorse you. <laughs> yeah, check us out on LinkedIn. Uh, hey, hey, so in you scratch uh, my back, I scratch yours. Yeah, www.codingblocks.net slash about and you'll you'll find all our profiles and LinkedIn links and all that kind of awesome. stuff. Oh, Jesus. Anyways, all right, so on to the resources we like this week. So, Joe, kick us off. Uh, yeah, I wanted to mention um, Code Complete. That's um, the book we were... Um, that you put not, down? Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm <laughs> sorry, man. That is the book that I stopped reading at uh, when talking about um, naming things. But it is a really good book, actually. And uh, thanks, also, uh, there's the book Clean Code, which also talked a lot about naming. And so that's uh, I didn't actually mention it when we talked about it, but it's also a really good book for that sort of thing. All right, and this isn't actually our resource, but Mike Barlow wrote us quite a while back, and uh, I dug up his email, and he had a fantastic thing going back to one of the episodes where we kind of went on about Pluralsight versus Linda versus books, whatever. And he had a he had a resource I didn't even know existed that's kind of cool because we had talked about, you know, it's frustrating trying to pick up a book, get it home, and then find out that it's not what you wanted. It's, it's not that good. There is a safaribooksonline.com. And they, was that, yeah, safaribooksonline.com. And they have a whole library of books that you can check out kind of like a, you know, a plural site or something. You just go look at it. 
and it's $39 a month. So it's kind of up there, a little bit costlier than the Pluralsight uh, lower end thing. But, you know, they have a whole slew of books from different publishers. You're talking about this like you've never heard about Safari Books Online, though. I haven't. I just said. I'd never heard of it. Oh, really? Yeah. I missed that part when you said yeah. that. Merry yeah. Christmas. So then, really? You've never heard of this? Ever. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you haven't heard of it, like me, because I've never been on the internet, then, um, <laughs> you know, you should go yet check. Yet another example. Yet another example of things I have not seen on the interwebs. But, um. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. So you can basically, you know, spend $39 a month or 400 bucks a year, and you basically have access to a whole slew of technical books, which is pretty awesome. So, yeah. And what, what, um, man, we should find that email. Cause like the one thing that I didn't realize that, cause I, I have heard about this before, but, um, the one thing that he called out in that, that, that I wasn't aware of was that I always assumed that it was, um, locked down to just the O'Reilly books, but he actually referenced in his, uh, a in press his, O'Reilly pack, Sam's Manning, Addison, Wesley. Yeah. And, and Manning especially is one where like, I really like a lot of the Manning publications. Yeah. Uh, it, that, that's one of my, my favorites. Yeah. These are major, major publishers. It's not um, just one. Hate the covers though. Yeah. The Manning covers are terrible. O'Reilly covers are awesome. I, I just wish you could get them. I wish you didn't have to buy the physical, version to get the soft copy oh oh and also a thing he mentioned that uh i didn't realize either is they have videos so like he said he would do a search and and then sort on the published date so that he could get the freshest one and like angular js and the title of a book there were 30 books and 10 videos um ASP.NET MVC, 31 books, three videos, JavaScript, yeah, so 224. It, it sounded like they had like completely expanded on this thing since they originally launched it so you know while I had heard it, it heard of it, if you like me recalled this thing when it originally started out as an O'Reilly thing, know now that they've expanded on the offering. So, uh, you know, it might be something of interest to you. Yep. So thank you, Mike, for sending that tip in. That's uh, that's excellent. All right. So let's get into the tip of the week. Is this really the week or the tip of the episode? Whatever. You know, <laughs> I have a tip every week. It's just you guys don't get to hear it. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, so mine. Oh, but is, you know where you could is if you signed up for our newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's weekly. <laughs> that's the the tip of the year. Now we may tweet weekly. Yeah, we do that. So, so for my tip of the week, the question is: Oh, where? Oh, where is Mike's tip of the week? And I say that because you my tip of the week, my tip of the week, and Alan will attest to this, is to use a wear clause. Oh, I'll be oh, burn. <laughs> Man, so hey. all your sequel, if you're going to do an update statement, you should be careful and use a where clause. I don't know, know what he's talking about. Write the where clause first. I don't know <laughs> what he's talking about. I, I always write like update table set and then I don't say anything else and then I say where and then that way it's already a, uh, you know, a, a, a syntactic error. It won't, so that I, I'm safe that it won't run. So, so frustrating, man. I, I, <laughs> man, I, it, it's such a newbie mistake, man. It, but you since you just tweeted that out, I was like, oh, that's a, uh, so that's frustrating. That's where, where's my tip? That's you know what your tip awesome. could have been. Uh, I was wondering, like, I was like, when, when I put that in the show notes, I was just waiting on one of you to like catch on to what I was going to say. Yeah, I got it now. I'm not happy. (laughs) (laughs) You know what might help you, Alan, is uh, something like T SQL T, which is a unit test framework for SQL. (laughs) 
I'm not unit testing my sequel. My sequel's right. It just didn't have a word clause. <laughs> there was no error when I ran that. It so, just had a higher row count. Than no, for some <laughs> definitions of correct. All right. But you guys all know that moment where you run it, you're like, wait, why is what? it still running? Why is it? Why didn't it say one? <laughs> Where's the undo? Yeah, and there's like Control 10 C. vendors that will sell you some sort of unit testing solution for uh, SQL, and none of them will show you the syntax, so you know what that means. Man, and you know what hurts so bad was his previous tip of the week was, if you put that begin transaction right before the update, then you can run both of them, and if it's not the right row count, then you just roll it back. I was like, man, I, I'm so, so aggravated. Anyways, all right, Joe, what, what's yours? So that's an awesome tip of the week that Alan can take home with him. Yeah, I, <laughs> whatever. I think Alan should go first because mine's sad. Yours is sad. <laughs> yep. All right. All right, then. So I will go first, or I will go second. Um, this one's actually kind of cool. I found this on a LinkedIn thread that uh, people were arguing about things, which is what they do up there. Um, if you want to write a um, – you want to you create an application, but you basically don't have an API or a back end, there's this, there's this site called apiary.io where you can build these server-side APIs without, without actually writing any code. And uh, if you are just a person doing this, it's free. You can set it up, and you can go create these server backends, and it, it gives you all kinds of stuff. You have uh, HTTP like proxies that you can look at how data is coming in and what should be going out and all this kind of stuff. So it's rather interesting. I'd never heard of it, um, but and I haven't actually played with it much yet. Uh, other than just reading through what it does, but you can basically mock out and build these APIs that are functional and, and test your applications against it without actually writing any code. So you can focus on on creating these APIs that you want, and then after you finally narrow whittle everything down to what you think it should be, then you start actually coding it. So uh, pretty cool. Very nice. All right, now for my uh, my bummer uh, tip. So a couple of weeks, maybe even months ago, at Atlanta B-Sides, I saw a really good talk, um, which is titled basically, um, when you're online, no one knows you're dead. And uh, it basically had to do with, uh, you know, a really tech-savvy person who died, and their surviving spouse had to kind of figure out how to manage the, the leftovers of their kind of digital life. So uh, it was things like trying to figure out how to access family pics that were on his computer. Uh, Update their Facebook status. Facebook, um, and even how to get Facebook and Gmail and Outlook and everyone to kind of, you know, turn over the rights to those accounts to kind of shut some of the stuff down. Because you think about, you know, banking statements, um, you know, services, uh, hosting, this person had a side business. Uh, a lot of the bills for the family were, you know, basically in digital only form. And so they had to kind of try to crack into those emails. And it was really tough and it was a really good talk. And um, even just the home network, how to kind of figure that out was all, you know, really tough and where the backups were, et cetera. And so, was their answer LastPass? Uh, they had a lot of answers. It was very complicated. Um, and the, one of the actually things that I think it was called the Iron Key, it's basically something that you can do. It's like, um, it's almost like a USB drive that has um, kind of ways into and information about all your various different <laughs> services and something that you can kind of put in the safe, you know, once a month or something like that. And uh, when you die, it can get turned over to someone and they can kind of take over that stuff. That but, is kind of sad. Thanks. Yeah, and, but it was a really good wow. talk, and so it was actually by one of the guys from the Defense Security Podcast. There's something you need to tell us. Yeah, just in case. <laughs> is this why you're moving? But you know what? It, it, that is kind of valid because my wife has actually said to me before. She's like, "Oh my god! Like if 
if you weren't here, I wouldn't know how to do any of this stuff. I wouldn't know how to get my Wi-Fi working. I wouldn't know. Like, yeah. She, she literally well, kind of freaks out on occasion I about mean, it. You, you know, teaching her how to, how to set up a Wi-Fi is one thing, but giving her the credentials... Though. Yeah, 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 and this I mean, guy, that's uh, why that's why I asked pass. like is LastPass yeah. the answer? It's part to, of mine. To a lot of these because you could just you know family share that stuff. But but you have to admit like as techies we we don't and I've said this before and we've come across this before where like you know this happened with uh, the Git logging credentials right. You were like, hey, man, I found this great thing to where you don't have to type in your Git credentials every time you do something. I was like, oh, yeah, I already did that. <laughs> right? You don't think about it because this is just what we do. You know, you find a problem, you you, you, you get past it, and you move on, right? You, we don't think about how difficult some so of this stuff is. So I need a wiki is. for my life is what you, you're saying. That's actually what it sounds like, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, this guy had uh, some kind of helpful tips for how to kind of manage that sort of thing. But um, in particular, this guy, he was kind of a security guy, so his hard drives were all encrypted, you know, full disk encryption. Um, you know, things like network passwords or, or just computer passwords for his devices weren't in things like LastPass. And so there were things that were difficult to get into, including a lot of, you know, he's a family photographer. So there are all sorts of pictures and stuff that are kind of locked away on disk, and there's not a great way of getting to that data. So just things to think about. Yeah, yeah. So... Excellent tip. Real sad. Thanks. And even phone numbers and stuff like, you know, it was a car accident. And so, you know, the, the devices were lost. And so it was really hard to even, I think you've already know, like brought the tone down enough on this show. Yeah, like, you really, <laughs> way to, way to take all of the fun out. Yeah. See you guys next week. Wait, wait, they're not just IP addresses now. Wait, well, <laughs> they're still phone numbers. <laughs> Some right. areas of the country. Okay. So. All right, so uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. We've talked about uh, naming conventions and TDD and MVC versus MVVM and stumbled on how to say that 10 times fast. And, uh, <laughs> you know, let, let us know what you think about for, uh, you know, in regards to some shorter episodes. We'd like to get some feedback on that. Um, Which yeah. was com or dot, oh, geez, I did it. www.codingblocks.net. <laughs> That's your fault. Dot net slash poll, P O L L. Ah, all right, so subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And be sure to leave us a review on, on those platforms as well. Like we've said before, uh, we greatly appreciate that. It goes a long way to help us and to help uh, new listeners find us. So uh, we really appreciate it. Yep, and contact us with any question or topic. As you can tell with this episode, we really do like to get them and, and we take them to heart. Leave your name and preferred method of shout out if you want one website twitter whatever and we'll mention you on the podcast and visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes examples discussion and more and yeah yeah, yeah. send us your feedback <laughs> questions and rants to comments at codingblocks.net it's like 10 o'clock at night guys i don't know i'm shutting down well, one of these days we'll actually get good at this <laughs> <laughs> we've only done it 27 times yeah yeah um, yeah, definitely follow us on Twitter uh, at Coding Blocks. Like we've gotten some uh, great. Huh? There was the one episode we threw away, the secret episode that we nobody did. knows about. We did. I we probably have. Oh, yeah. oh, we got a. Sh- sh- they're listening. Yes, it was terrible. Um. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Follow us on Coding Blocks. Uh, I mean, geez, follow us somewhere. <laughs> Go to Twitter at Coding Blocks. We've actually had some great. It's hard to call it thing on twitter discussion isn't it that's what it is that's the discussion is it it's hard yeah. to do a discussion at 140 that's why characters. it says view discussion right or view okay. conversation okay yeah so we've Maybe had it's a conversation we, we've had some great back and forth on twitter so uh definitely come join us over there we enjoy that it's a lot of fun so that's it episode 27 is a wrap
Boom. Is my nose whistling or is that your nose? Is that your nose? What? Am I doing? It's probably me. Do I have boogers? That's why I wanted the napkin thing. So I could like. Just got to eat them. <laughs> you really don't like toilet paper? You don't blow your nose to toilet paper? That's my sure. preferred. It's right. It's right there. <laughs> but but then I need a lot of it. Whereas like you know one napkin has the strength to be able to last. It's got strength. No, we we buy the good toilet paper, man. I need it. Yeah, the two ply. Yeah, oh, yeah. two ply doesn't doesn't flake off. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. What yeah. is this Google? Stri- Wait, oh, which one do you use? Which one? I don't know. Charmin oh, something. Ultra soft. I oh, get the ultra st- ultra strong. Oh yeah, nice. Yes. Yeah, man. Uh, no toilet paper left behind. <laughs> I need like ultra sensitive. <laughs> you got like the aloe going on. I need it, man. We're not recording. I, hope. I would love. I would we love to have recording. a bidet. Oh my god! Oh, I have a bidet. Yeah, they're fantastic. Oh man, you have a bidet in your house, dude? I bought. I bought. Okay, so I bought one at Costco. Of course, I had it at Costco. It was like two hundred bucks. The only thing that sucked is I had to run an electrical outlet with a GFCI over by the toilet to make it work because this is the kind that like you hit a button and it's like, oh, it's fantastic. Oh man. I thought that was a water fountain. (laughs) (laughs) A little late. (laughs) No, dude, they are great, but they do not eliminate the need for toilet paper. Yeah. I've heard Leo say that it does. This is is the most disturbing conversation (laughs) because we're talking about how he wipes Dude, well, Leo's gone gone off on it. He's got a four thousand dollar toilet. Yeah, but I mean, you got to you got to do it with water in your hand at the same time, and then you wash your hand good. What? Yeah, you can't just do water. <laughs> you can't just do water. You know, like, when you take a shower, you don't just do oh water. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't do same I don't want to know where you guys put your hands. No, like, man, they go together. No, you don't do it at the same time. You, oh, you squirt Jesus and then you Christ. wipe. You squirt and then wipe. Come on. No, man, no. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> This is the most disturbing thing that we've ever recorded. Hey, mine's got a hairdryer, or not a hairdryer. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, suppose it is. <laughs> Where's that picture? <laughs> Talk about your Freudian slip. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, so I suppose it is. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Hey, you're editing, so you got it all. Uh, okay, so wait, wait, let me make sure I understand this thing. This thing is like an add-on to your toilet, is what you were describing. It's then. just it's so you basically—it's basically like a fancy seat. You take off the lid, it, the the yeah, you take off the seat and the and the closed mm-hmm. lid thing, and it's basically a replacement seat and lid. Right, and so you it's plug a, it's a it fancy in. seat. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's good. We've had it for like maybe two or three years. Sounds like it'd be a mess. Oh no, right. no, not at all. <laughs> It will shoot you off the toilet the first time you do it. Though, oh my God. You, won't be, you won't be ready for it. All right. I, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I put the counter in the uh, in the episode. Uh, uh, or in, uh, in the the show notes uh, thing. Are the, we the comments there. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> it's got a hair dryer. <laughs> that might be the best comment. <laughs> <laughs> Accidental <laughs> comment. Uh huh. <laughs>